Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today, the reading is from John 21, verses 1 to 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after he said this to him, follow me. At this point, I'm going to call up our pastor, Billy Glosson, and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the way that we can gather together and meet with you in worship. Lord, I pray right now for Billy. Um, Thank you, Lord, for how you've met with him as he's prepared this week. Lord, I pray that he would bring this word from you, that you've given him with boldness, um, and that we would be changed after we hear this message, Lord. 
I pray for those of us in the seats that we would just push away any distractions and open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we have been going through the book of James, but we're going to pause this morning uh, and look at an interaction in the book of John. I really think this will help us to kind of shape the challenges that we've been receiving from James and that we're going to continue to receive. And so we're pausing from James, we're looking at this story, and really it's going to help us frame it. But to do so, we've got to realize this is a pretty unusual story, right? And it's important to understand the context of what's happening here. So in order to do that, I want to to backtrack for just a moment and look at Matthew 28. So in Matthew 28, we get this account of the resurrection. We see that, again, we see the Marys worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says this to them in verse 10. In verse 10 of Matthew 28, he says, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here we get why the disciples are no longer in Jerusalem, but in Galilee. And a little bit further down in verse 16, we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now why are we looking at all this? It's going to help make sense of our passage in John 21. See, the disciples are on a mountain in Galilee. They're waiting patiently on the Lord. He's risen again. There's hope. There's joy. There's zeal for what's coming next. But then moments pass and someone gets a little impatient, and that someone is Peter. And that's where we catch up to our passage today in verse 3 of John 21. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Have you ever been impatient? Uh, Have you ever struggled to wait for something? This weekend, uh, my wife and I decided we were going to venture out and see a sunflower field. So my wife loves sunflowers, and I had heard rumors and tales that there's a couple sunflower fields here in Burke County, and I had a general idea of where it's at. That, that was my first failure, is having kind of an idea where it was. And so we go, we park, we start walking, and if you've ever gone on any kind of walk or hike with a two-year-old, you know that it takes an eternity to get Five feet, right? So we're going, and it's like, ooh, look at this. Ooh, look at this. And I'm like, buddy, it is 90 billion degrees outside. It's really hot. I have no idea where we're going. We're out at this pond. There's people fishing who are all giving us, like, the kind of mean mug stare that's like, thanks for ruining our day. Came in here for some peace and quiet. Thanks for bringing your child. And we start going down this road. We're talking, and my family's doing fine. Sam's having the time of his life, right? Everything is exciting and new to him. Hannah's rolling with it, and I am hot and miserable and asking myself, why did I wear pants instead of shorts, right? And so we go, and we round the corner. We see nothing, and I'm like, let's just, let's just go. We'll do it again another day. We'll, just, we'll do it again another time, all right? It's over. We get in the car. We head back, and I text some friends who had an idea of where it was at, and immediately they said, oh, you just have to keep walking down that road. Where did you stop? And I was like, at the the second pond. And they're like, oh, it's literally like just a quarter mile past that, right? Just a little bit further and you'd be there. So of course we go yesterday and I feel like a complete fool as we round the corner and there's sunflowers. It's beautiful. We take some pictures. We got our Instagram moment. We gave up so quick because I was impatient. And here we are. Peter gets flustered with waiting and he goes fishing. Peter's always been 
known for being a man of action, and he goes to what he knows, which is fishing. And because Peter is a leader, some of the guys go with him. And here they are on the sea, seasoned fishermen. They go out, they fish all night long, and they catch nothing. And so today, we're going to zoom into this strange story at the end of the Gospel of John. We're going to look at this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. And here's what I want you to catch. Here's our big idea this morning. Simply this. Jesus, friends, is better. Jesus is better than our best efforts as he frees us from shame and calls us to follow him. There's so much to see in this passage. So let's start, let's go back to our text. Look at verse four with me and let's see what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene. Verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about 100 yards off. So let's start right here with the idea that Jesus, friends, is better. Jesus is better. Right off the bat, we see first, again, Jesus is better. And I would say he's a better fisherman than the disciples, right? They had labored all night long, and then through the fog, they hear a voice asking if they caught anything. And you got to imagine these guys are tired, they're frustrated, humiliated. They spent all night long, and they've caught nothing and, and here's what's important as we read this. This isn't your dad's fishing trip, right? This isn't just a leisure trip. These are professional fishermen. They know what they're doing. They don't need some guy on the shore telling them what to do. Well, did you try a different bait? Right? They don't need that. They know what they're doing. Yet, they drop the net, they, they drop the net onto the side of the boat, and what happens? Well, it fills up with fish. Why is that? It's because Jesus' friends is better. Specifically, and if you're a note taker, you can write this down, Jesus is better than our best efforts. He is better than our best efforts. There's a great lesson here for all of us who want to follow, who, who want to follow after the Lord to follow Jesus, and it's this. You and I, we can't do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. Regardless of our best laid efforts, right? I don't care how capable you are, how confident you are, how talented you are. It doesn't matter how strong you are. You and I, on our own, we are unable to follow Jesus apart from his work in our lives. If we look back at the story, we see that the net begins to fill up with fish. And John knew that that stranger on the shore was his Lord. He announces it. And as soon as Peter knows, he knows it so deep in his soul that he dives into the sea to swim to him. I wonder if the words of their teacher still rang in their heads. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, believer, any effort to serve Jesus in our own strength will be as effective as the disciples fishing. We're really, really good at making instant gratification our ultimate goal, right? I mean, that's the age that we live in. Don't like the video? Just swipe up. 
We can be really great self-promoters, making much of ourselves, but when it comes to giving up our personal comfort for someone else's eternal good, our efforts often fall short. Right? If you want to be a godly wife, a content mother, you will fail in your own strength. If you want to be a faithful husband, a present father, you will stumble on your own. If you want to be the best employee, the most supportive friend on your own, you will have missteps. If you look at that besetting sin that's overwhelming you, if you think, I can beat it if I just try harder, friend, you will fail. Listen, hear me. All the good that you do will be empty and short-lived apart from the effective power of Jesus Christ working in you and through you. That's why this random fishing story, this disciples and their empty hall, it's so encouraging. Because if we follow Christ, we don't need to rely on our own strength. Because he provides exactly what we need when we need it. When it comes to you, when it comes to your strength, your ability, here is the truth that you need to hear. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He is better in every way. And if you follow him, then you have him as your greatest possession, your treasure, your friend. And I just want to speak as someone who struggles with this. I often think it's all up to me. I do. Here's what I want to say to you. Stop trying so hard. Stop trying to live this life without Jesus. Best case scenario, right? Best case scenario, you fail and it leads you to the reassuring voice of Jesus. Worst case scenario, you have some kind of cheap victory and you convince people that you're awesome or that you have it all together. The pressure, friends, that's weighing on you is more than you can bear. The yoke is hard and the burden is heavy. Hear me, Jesus is better. He is better than your best effort. So will you come to him today? Will you believe that truth? Will you see that not only is he better than our best effort, here's the next thing, Jesus is better than our failure. Jesus is better than our failure. There's a reason the disciples did not catch any fish that night. They caught nothing so that Jesus could demonstrate his power among them. But I wonder if they realize that in the moment. Maybe you're like the disciples right now. You don't feel like a self-promoter. You don't feel like a perfectionist. You just feel like a failure. As we follow Jesus, there's going to be days, there's going to be weeks, there's going to be months, maybe even years when it feels like we're failing. We're trying, and it's just not working. You may be following Jesus this morning, doing what he says, and yet feel like everything's just going wrong. Maybe worse... You don't see the purpose in this obedience. Why do all this stuff? Why go through all this pain? It's been said this way, and I think it's so helpful. This is from Malcolm Muggeridge. He says, Christianity from Golgotha onwards has been the sanctification of failure. Here's what I want to say to you. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than our failing. Our failures bring us face to face with weaknesses and inadequacies. They show us what truly lies within, a brokenness, a weakness. Why is that? 
It's so that God's strength can be made perfect in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's in the breaking of these jars of clay, these earthenware vessels that our failures, right, start to crack and fissure this vessel, and in it, the riches of God are exposed for all to see. It's primarily our failures that create in us a poverty of spirit that make us fit vessels for the blessings of the kingdom of God. That's why God allows suffering that at moments feels overwhelming, Because, friends, he is producing in you and me a peculiar glory that showcases to a watching world that Jesus is better. We live out a great tragedy when we won't even admit our failure. Whether that's in our relationship to God, to one another, or in our failure to serve and to trust. Failure brings us face to face with the reality about ourself and the broken world we live in. And it's simply this, we need a savior. And Christ came for a reason, and we have to face this truth. See, Jesus knew that night that his disciples had not caught any fish. He knew everything about them. And it's to their credit that they admitted their failure when they caught nothing. But look what happens when Jesus shows up. Empty nets are filled As long as we put the spotlight on our failure and we wallow in self-defeat, we're going to think moments of weakness, moments of failure are meaningless. But when we look to Christ, when we see that Jesus is better, failure, even failure can be an outpouring of God's presence in our lives. When we have the grace to admit failure, we can have the humility to see how God is using it, even in our brokenness, to reveal his glory. And sitting on the boat that night was someone whose failure was at the forefront of their mind. And that's Peter. Look back at the text, verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. It's one of the best verses in all scripture right there. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed 
my sheep. We start understanding that Jesus is better, but we see second, Jesus frees us from shame. Jesus frees us from shame. No doubt, running through Peter's mind, when the net begins to fill, was the moment that he first met Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, we get, we get this picture. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little further from the land, Jesus asked Simon. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. <laughs> that scene plays in Peter's head, and he dives into the water. And he swims to Jesus, his risen Lord. No broken nets. This time, everything made new. He arrives on the shore, and there's Jesus with breakfast. They haul their huge catch to the shore, and here's a side note. I just, I love Jesus so much. I love this. He asks them to bring some of their catch. Jesus, friends, honors our labor for him, knowing full well that it's because of him we're even fruitful. How awesome is that? How good is our Lord? And now they're sitting around the fire and Jesus, he turns his attention to Peter. Now before we look at this interaction between Peter and Jesus, we've got to understand the context. Again, breakfast with Jesus sounds awesome, right? It does, but this isn't quite the interaction it seems at first. We have to rewind a little bit. If we remember, they're supposed to be on a mountain waiting for the Lord, but Peter decided he's going to abandon his call to ministry, if you will, and go back to fishing. Now, there's reasons for that. Peter has famously been known for denying the Lord on three separate occasions. I think Peter felt inadequate. I think he felt guilty. I think he felt weak. Peter was also a man who didn't have a lot of patience. He had not yet, along with the apostles, received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were doubtful of their own power, doubtful of their own ability to, to somehow sustain a ministry that he knew he had failed in so many times. So what does Peter do? Well, he goes back to what he knows. And what he knows is fishing. So he goes fishing. Again, I think we miss the cultural context. This is not a leisure trip to pass the time. Fishing is a job. This is an occupation. It's work. Christ had just risen from the grave. The one who called Peter to follow him and fish for men. And Peter doubts himself. He's ashamed. He goes back to fishing. 
Have you ever felt ashamed? Embarrassed? Humiliated? Pastor and author Tim Chester shares four characteristics of God that help us battle shame, that help us battle idolatry in what he calls the four G's. It's that God is good, God is great, God is glorious and gracious. God is good, great, glorious, and gracious. And these truths about God push against the idols that we so often fall to. Idols of power, control, idols of comfort, idols of approval. You see, shame is a funny thing. When we feel shame, we typically run to what we know. We go to the place that feels familiar and safe. Right? My, my little boy loves to burrow himself under a blanket. And that's what we do too. You see, we don't usually, unfortunately, run to Jesus as we should. Think about what you do when you experience shame. Do you blame yourself? You start self-loathing, playing small. Maybe you try to crucify the feeling as it were. I'm the worst. I messed up. It's my fault. You're probably running to approval. Or maybe when you feel shame, you try to turn the feeling off. I don't want to think about it. You binge watch Netflix. You play video games for hours. You go out and tinker in the garage. Like a child grabbing their favorite blanket, you're probably running to comfort. Maybe you don't numb it. Maybe you don't turn the feeling off. Maybe you just run entirely. I'm not going to feel You go somewhere to be alone, a walk in the woods. You're the one who always leaves in a fight. You have no problem pressing end on the phone. It's because you want to isolate yourself. You want to hide. You're probably running to control. Maybe none of that's you. Maybe when you feel shame, you get defensive. It's not your fault, it's theirs. You scapegoat the feeling. You're probably running to power. Power, control, comfort, approval, all of these are empty cisterns that we have drunk from. And here's Peter confronted once again with his failure. He's staring into a fire, remembering the last fire he set by and how he had just denied Jesus. And now here he is sitting across from the man. Smoke wafting through the disciples and Jesus locks eyes with him. And he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice that Jesus doesn't call him Peter, the rock. Simon had failed to live up to that name. Jesus is facing Peter with his own limitations so that he might entrust himself in a new way to Jesus's leadership. Simon on his own is always gonna be just that, Simon. He has no capacity to rise beyond that. But Simon trusting in Jesus is Peter, the rock from whose witness and leadership the church will receive its earliest foundation. So Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the question stings. Do you love me more than these? Undoubtedly, Peter looks around and sees the other disciples and remembers his own words to Jesus like a flashback scene. John chapter 13. 
Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Or in Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. almost see the tears welling up in his eyes as he remembers all of his big talk and his denial never even met the man and the question stings even more because the word that jesus used for love here it's 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 a love that's perfect unconditional sacrificial and pure and peter responds Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word that Peter uses is better translated affection or friendship. Because Peter can't bring himself to profess a a full love. So he says, Lord, yeah, I have have an affection. I love you like a brother. But I can't say love like you're saying, Lord. Not after all my failures, not after my disgrace. Then Jesus charges him, feed my lambs. In other words, then serve me. Jesus again asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Again, he's asking Peter, do you truly love me? And Peter again responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, that same brotherly friendship, affection. And Jesus says, well, then tend my sheep. And finally, Jesus asks him the third time, but this time he meets Peter where he's at. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he uses the same word, that Peter had been using for love. He says, Peter, do you even really have a friendship, brotherly love for me? And this time, Peter is hurt. Peter's grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter is grieved because he remembers his own failure how he had denied the Lord three times. We can't miss what Jesus is doing here because what he is doing here is wonderful. He is restoring Peter in the sight of the disciples. And for this to make sense, you you and me, we need to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. You see, condemnation says, you're not good enough. Look at you. You failed again. You're never going to get it right. You're the worst. That's the voice that Peter had heard. It's the voice that caused him to weep bitterly after his denial of Jesus as he locked eyes with the suffering servant. It's the voice that stirred him to be restless and head back to what he knew to his old comfort to get back into the boat. But the voice of conviction, friends, is different than the voice of condemnation. Conviction, friends, calls us out of shame to see our identity. Conviction says, I've called you a son. I've called you a daughter. Live that way. Conviction calls us back. Jesus is essentially restoring and recommissioning Peter. He is saying, don't run away from the call. Don't run back to fishing. Feed my sheep. And notice the order here too. It's love, then service. 
You see, sometimes we hear condemnation and we sit in shame because we hear, do more. But friends, it isn't in our doing, it's in our loving that Christ is honored. Because Jesus turns duty to delight. We love the Lord, and so we want to serve him. God wants us to be doers, yes, to feed his sheep, but he wants us to be before we do. Love first. See the restoration of Peter. He calls you, friend, from shame. He calls you to see who God is. He is. We'll put this on the screen. He is great. So you don't have to be in control. He is glorious. So you don't have to fear others. He is good. So you don't have to look elsewhere. And he is gracious. So you don't have to prove yourself because Christ has already proved himself worthy. Let's look back and see Jesus' words to Peter. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Third and last, briefly, Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls Peter to count the cost and to follow him. There's no sugarcoating it. Jesus tells Peter that following him will make him a martyr. Legend says that when Peter was crucified, he felt unworthy to die in the same way as his master, and so he was crucified upside down. I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that from this moment, Peter fearlessly followed his master and sought to lead the church faithfully. You see, Peter heard the call to commit his life to Jesus, and he knew that it meant a life tending his sheep, feeding his lambs, which is a life, friends, in the church. Commitment to Jesus involves commitment to his church, commitment to his people. Jesus Christ is not a single person and that he comes to us without other attachment. Jesus, friends, is a married person. He comes to us with a bride whom he loves and for whom he sacrificed himself. To be in relationship with Jesus while ignoring or even despising his bride is no more acceptable than it would be if you hated your friend's spouse. It would be real weird, right? Man, I really enjoy hanging out with you. I just can't stand your husband. Okay, we're not hanging out anymore, right? Genuine conversion means not only turning to and accepting Christ, it means turning to and accepting his bride, the church. Jesus' love for his church remains undiminished, even if the church is torn, broken, dirty in places, and generally malnourished and diseased. It's his bride, and he will redeem it. It's still his bride. It's still the people for whom he died and who are therefore the burden of his concern. And so he speaks his word today to those who will hear it. Follow me. Feed my sheep. 
take care of my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I will say this. Friend, if you consider your relationship with Jesus and you think it's just me and Jesus and you don't consider the church, you don't see the call to be a part of what Christ calls us to, then you are being disobedient and you're not following Jesus. Just black and white. You cannot seriously read the New Testament and say that I am an obedient Christian and I have no part of any church and that's okay. There, there's this adage that goes around that's like, well, standing in a, in a garage doesn't make me a car any more than sitting in a church makes me a Christian. And maybe that's true, but if you don't sit in a church at all ever, then you're not a Christian, at least not an obedient one. If you watch a sermon online and occasionally read your Bible but have no relationship in the church, then let me just be really honest, you're robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of joy. If you run back to old comforts and say, I'm being obedient, but I'm on the boat, and I'm not doing what Jesus calls me to do, then you're not being obedient. Friends, Christ calls you to gospel community. We are recipients of God's mercy, and what we do is we remind each other of the grace that's found in Jesus, and we walk arm in arm to Jesus for healing, and we feast together on the good food of the word of God. And no matter what our situation in life, Christ's call is the same, follow me. Below the surface of these words is something very beautiful and meaningful for Peter. Right? The last thing that he says here is, follow me. This was Jesus' first command to Peter years before. And it was there that he was fishing. Peter was younger then, and he knew very little of what it would involve, but he did follow And now the command comes again from Jesus. And how those words had been deepened by the years. Peter had been in Gethsemane, seeing Jesus weep as he mourned his friend. He had seen healings. He had seen amazing moments. He had also witnessed the sufferings of Christ at Golgotha. And he had denied Jesus. He learned the necessity of following Christ and what a depth of meaning the words follow me now carry. And that gracious command, it rings out to us today, Coromdeo, follow me. If you're a new Christian, this is all new to you. This is Christ's abiding command and you're asked to respond at your own level of understanding. Or if like Peter, you've been through the wars, it's still the same. Maybe it's more complicated, more complex, but it's just as simple. Follow me. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Think back to that scene. Jesus on the shore with his disciples. Think of the compassion and grace of Jesus filling this moment. These are ordinary men. Just regular guys whom Jesus invited to his table of fellowship that day. Public failures like Peter, known doubters like Thomas, loyal and faithful souls like Nathaniel, men with bad tempers like the sons of Zebedee, and two others who don't even get their names mentioned, just background folks, these two other disciples. And to that deeply human company, Jesus opens the riches of his friendship, and friends, he opens it to you.
Imagine yourself standing on the shore with Christ, with the sea of eternity stretching behind you. Christ looks at you with knowing eyes and says, do you love me? Without comparing yourself to anyone else, do you really love me? Do you have affection for me? We must love him, Coram Deo, above and beyond anything or anyone else. How do we make our love for Christ the highest priority in our life? First, we must be absolutely honest about the level of our love. And second, we must spend time with him. Because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will love him. How much time have we spent with him in the last month, the last year? We spend time with those we love. Remember, Jesus is better than our best efforts. He frees us from shame. He calls us to follow him. Consider again the gospel. That Jesus went to Calvary knowing that you would fail. Knowing that we would stumble. Knowing that we, like Peter, run to lesser things in our shame and still he went. Why? Because he is better, friends, better than our best effort and he will always pursue us. Maybe today you would say, I don't know, I've never really believed this Jesus stuff, but I want to. I would petition you respond to him. Maybe you own that most of your life, you've looked to your best effort and not Jesus. Maybe you've even thought, I'm a Christian. I'm saved because I'm a good person. Maybe today you realize that your goodness is compared to Jesus and you see that Jesus is better. Maybe he's stirring you, calling you. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. and There will be a few of us in the foyer to pray with you, to talk with you, to encourage you. Maybe you know Jesus, but you look at your life and you see the areas, big or small, where you've at times tried to muscle through by your own effort. Or the moments where you've run to lesser things in shame. Maybe you've denied the importance of being with God's people as you follow Jesus. Today, friends, repent. Come to the table, and if you want prayer, if you need encouragement, if you want to push against the shame that we all experience again, we'll be in the foyer to pray with you and encourage you. But today, come to Jesus. He calls you out of the lies of condemnation to see that he is better. He calls you away from shame and says, follow me. Four questions as we close. First, in what areas of my life have I relied solely on my own efforts rather than seeking Jesus' guidance and grace? In what areas of my life have I relied solely on my own efforts rather than seeking Jesus' guidance and grace? Second, how can I remind myself daily that Jesus' love and acceptance are not based on my performance but on his unchanging character? Third, what does it mean for me to personally to believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has already paid for all my sins and shame? What does it mean for me personally to believe that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross has already paid for all my sins and shame? And fourth, what obstacles or distractions often hinder me from fully following Jesus and his word? We'll put all four up on the screen if you want to snag a picture or take notes. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we acknowledge just how much we have tried to make it on our own. The things that we've run back to, the efforts that we've made. Lord, would we see that you are better. Your word is better. Your promises are true. Would we cling tightly to you and would we follow after you? Forgive us for making the cross little and ourselves large. Lord, would we see that Jesus is better? Would we hold fast to you? Acknowledging you in all our ways. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.